Federico Palacios, a graduate student at X University. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, hey, Ben. I am currently, as you mentioned, in Ryerson or X University School of Urban and Regional Planning, just finishing up my master's in urban development. I come to urban planning from a background in environmental studies and food security. So I've always been very interested in environmental and social sustainability. That's kind of the lens that I bring to the work I've done. I've always really enjoyed creating relationships with folks, meeting new people, and that kind of brought me towards engagement throughout the course of my studies. So I really wanted to marry my ability and interest in creating meaningful relationships as well as building resilient communities. So that brought me naturally to engagement. And as part of your studies, you're currently working on something you call the Cities for Youth Toolkit. Can you unpack what that is? It's a project that started in the summer of 2021 during the course of my internship with Urban Minds. And so the aim of that project was to understand what tools were being used to engage with youth within urban planning. So it's born from a space that we know that there's an understanding of the importance of engaging youth and there's a desire to engage youth. But oftentimes there's kind of a gap in terms of how that's operationalized. So we really wanted to understand from a professional perspective what planners and planning allied professionals in Toronto and beyond were kind of doing in terms of really concrete tools and strategies to bring youth into the planning process. So it's a piece of research that I worked on and I had the chance to do the outreach myself, to do the interviews myself, and I got to learn and hear the perspectives of 10 different professionals throughout the summer. And then their takes and and perspectives inform the toolkit, which has been released in January by Urban Minds. So the toolkit basically outlines specific challenges that planners face or other professionals face when trying to bring youth into the fold, kind of some best practices that I uncovered through my research. And then on top of that, there is about a dozen actionable strategies that professionals can leverage when and if they choose to bring youth into their project. And those range from arts-based approaches to more informal, casual, conversational approaches or intersectional perspectives on engagement as well. All right. So we have together uh, an entire episode cooked up to make the case for youth engagement and talk about how to implement that and possible barriers to it and what people are doing right now to engage youth in the placemaking and and city building process. So, uh, Fed, do you want to start us off? This is Spacing Radio. Broadcasting from a country of roughly 7 million youth, I'm Glenn Bowerman and you're listening to the official podcast of Spacing Magazine. Federico here will be my co-host for this special episode, all about finding better ways to engage youth in the planning and design of our cities. Coming up on the show, we'll speak to Enosh Chen, Outreach Coordinator at Canadian nonprofit Urban Minds, and we'll speak to Joanna Lincho, Youth Engagement and Systems Lead at Carazon Family and Community Services. But first, let's hear from Lindsay Toth, Planner at Gladkey Planning & Associates, about the value of youth perspectives in planning and how those voices helped shape projects in Scarborough and Markham. Now, Fed, you spoke to Lindsay. What were you looking for in in your conversation with her? So I connected with Lindsay as she's an alumni from X-University's 
urban development program. And I really wanted her to speak more on the consulting side of it all. She has a real in-depth perspective of what it looks like to engage all kinds of communities in larger projects. Lindsay herself has worked on a range of public projects, mostly at Gladkey Planning. So she brings that perspective of municipal planning and consulting and youth engagement. All right, that sounds good. Stand by for Lindsay. So within my role, we've had two main projects that have had a focus on engaging youth. So both of these projects were secondary plan projects for major centers in the GTA. So the first was Scarborough Centre in the city of Toronto. And for Scarborough Centre, we partnered with Urban Minds and used their annual One Up conference for youth as an opportunity to run a design jam where youth could have a say in some of our planning processes as they were evolving for Scarborough Centre. So we designed an activity that was focused on parks and public realm where the youth could sort of get in there and actually design things and think about some of the different needs of different stakeholders and residents in the community with a particular focus on the youth of that community. And then they were able to actually like design something on sort of a big map of Scarborough Center and help us plan the parks and public spaces for that area. And then there was sort of a competition element to it. And all of those results were taken back and fed into our larger planning process. So that was sort of in the visioning like phase of the project. Um, so all of that feedback has sort of carried through. Now we're sort of nearing the end of that project but the youth's feedback has sort of impacted the project throughout its entirety. So you're seeing really the impact of these youth come into final outcomes? Are you seeing that? Yeah, so I think the really interesting thing about that project was we were engaging youth sort of at the same time that we were developing our preliminary thinking around what the future of like the parks and public realm in particular would look like in in Scarborough Centre. So those two streams were kind of happening in parallel. But what was really interesting is that the youth actually came up with almost identical plans to what the professionals were sort of developing in their own little silo. So, I mean, in, in, in that in that terms, it di- didn't take a lot to try to integrate it because everybody was on the same page with what would be best for that community. But we had a, a report and that report um, sort of has fed into our all of our consultation reporting and those those ideas have made their way into what will be the final the final preferred development scenario for for the center so that's i think really exciting 100% yeah i think that example speaks highly to the fact that once you give youth the tools or the capacity when you build that capacity along with them mm-hmm. they can speak the same language and in many ways come to the same kind of conclusions that professionals do. Do you want me to talk about, um, I didn't talk about Markham Center at all. Do you want me to talk about that one as well? Yeah, yeah. If you want to go through kind of briefly what the youth participation looked like for Markham Center. So for Markham Center, we 
again, so this is a secondary plan for a large center in the GTA. This is going to be Markham's sort of new downtown area. So it's a project that has significance across the city and across the region. So right away, the city of Markham identified that they really wanted a youth engagement element. And so we partnered with Urban Minds and we proposed sort of a couple of different projects that would bring youth opinions and perspectives in. So we had planned to do a pop-up engagement for youth at a YMCA youth night, which was sort of a popular place that youth in uh, Markham and in Markham Center in particular would hang out and spend time. So that was supposed to be an in-person event. And then there was going to be sort of hands-on activities and presentations and things like that. And then the second thing that we had planned was a design jam, similar to what we had done for Scarborough Center, where, again, students would be or youth would be presented with a an urban planning problem or issue, and they would go through that design thinking process where they had to empathize with different types of users and different populations and balance the interests and come up with their own designs to address that that issue. And there'd be sort of a fun competition element and working collaboratively in groups with other other youth. Both of those events were planned for March of 2020. So unfortunately, the pandemic a few days before these events were were set to occur derailed us. So we took a little bit of time to regroup. And in the end, those two engagements were sort of revamped into a virtual setting. So in particular, the design jam worked out really well virtually. People were participating over Zoom, both the judges and the people facilitating and then all of the participants as well. So and they still worked in groups. We used Zoom sort of breakout rooms functionality. So they had sort of a very similar experience that they would have in person. But we had to make use of some different types of tools and online collaborative software that otherwise in person we'd be using like post-it notes and modeling clay and maps and things like that. But we had to sort of adjust everything. We, we found different ways to, to run it, but it ended up it ended up working out really well. And you found that youth responded well to digital analogs to, to sharing tools. Yeah, of course. I mean, youth are more tech savvy than most of us and they've grown up with some of these tools and have had previous exposure and especially at the point in the pandemic when this event took place like students had been learning online at that point and they'd been socializing online so it was something that was comfortable and familiar for them at that point and I mean quick to pick up new technologies and open to it in a way that some older populations might not be. Right. Moving into a new phase of, of online engagement, there's a lot of tools out there that planners can use to engage youth and youth can navigate them competently. So I think that's something that we need to keep in mind. So next up, I wanted to ask you, what do youth perspectives bring to the consulting work that you do? For me personally, I think that youth engagement is is so important So for me, it's sort of grounded in the belief that the people who are going to be impacted by a decision have a right to be involved in that decision-making process. So when you're looking at planning projects and you're considering planning horizons for some of these projects, like a secondary plan, you're planning for sort of full build-out within 20 to 30 years in some cases. So 
when you think about youth of today, like those youth are going to be sort of middle aged by the time that some of these plans are fully implemented. So they are 100% the people who are going to be affected by these decisions and therefore they should be involved in the decisions that we're making now. And then even for planning projects that have sort of shorter planning horizons, like say a particular development project, like you're building a new building, that could still take five or six years to actually be implemented. And then the lifespan of that building could be 50 to 100 or more years. So again, like the impact of the decision to approve this development or to design a building this way or to create a secondary plan with these objectives the youth are the ones who are going to be impacted. And yet the people that we typically consult for those are people who might not even be living anymore when when the impact of some of these decisions is felt. I think this is sort of like the core of consultation is that we can't understand every point of view because we are sort of based in our own understanding of the world. So we can't know without asking what people's preferences and perspectives and priorities are. So it is really important to to engage youth for that reason. So uh, we kind of touched on this, but you, you might want to expand on, on it or you can think of other examples. So I wanted to ask you if you could describe youth engagement opportunities that your team kind of perceived as successful and what made those engagement opportunities a success. It was successful in that we had good participation, good turnout. We had positive feedback from the participants of the Markham Center virtual design jam. Like they enjoyed the process and felt like they had learned something and were happy to have had the opportunity to provide their input into the project. Yeah. And we were able to use their, use their feedback in our project, which is the ultimate goal of this, right? So it was successful in that way. But I almost wonder about like, what did, what did we lose by not being able to offer sort of both an, like both an in-person engagement activity as well as a virtual. So, and maybe I'm, I'm I'm straying from the successes a little bit and moving more into like lessons learned, but I think like learning from that experience is the types of people or the types of youth that you're going to get out to a very sort of formal structured event are a particular type of youth. Like those are going to be sort of your highly motivated, already likely civically engaged type of youth who are like maybe concerned about volunteer hours or university applications. And they're sort of looking to pad their resume and, and engage for some of those reasons. Mm -hmm. Whereas like youth are not a monolith. Like there are lots of different types of youth as there are lots of different types of people in our society. So like recognizing that maybe like an, like an online, like highly structured event like that, that required a registration, like we're reaching one group of youth and we're getting great feedback from that one group of youth, but something that like a drop in pop up kind of event is you can catch like other types of youth, like maybe the ones who who aren't likely to sort of otherwise participate in civic processes. But if they're walking down the street in a group with their friends and you can sort of catch their attention with a pop-up installation of some sort and some activities, you might be able to get that group of youth engaged, whereas they might not be inclined to sort of sign up and register and 
like sit at home on Zoom to participate, but you can catch them for maybe a shorter period of time and still get useful feedback from that group because they might have different opinions and perspectives than than another group of youth. What are kind of some of the barriers that in your work you see kind of in uh, integrating youth engagement? So I'm speaking from the perspective of a planning consultant who works mostly with public sector clients, but also with some private sector developers. But I think the major challenges that exist in engaging youth is understanding them, particularly where and how they want to engage. Because if we're not providing the opportunities that they find interesting and fun, then we're not going to get them. So I think what we need to do is we need to make sure that youth are involved in sort of the leading of these engagement processes. Yeah. Another, Another challenge would be making a case for youth engagement with clients. I guess like the bottom line of it is that youth engagement costs money. So there is sort of a business case that needs to be made in in any situation, like most planning projects have a set budget. And if you're sort of asking for more money, it's either more money needs to be found from, from the larger budget or like something else has to give, which is a really complicated thing to navigate. But I think the only way to navigate it is through sort of open dialogue with the client. And often it's just a bit of education around what some of the values of benefiting youth are. I think for private sector clients is where it's a little bit of a harder sell, but I think you can spin it in, in a way that piques their interest. Like you can talk about corporate social responsibility. You could talk about how there's typically a positive public perception and greater public buy-in for projects that involve a fulsome public consultation involving youth. Also, just like maybe like steering a private sector's client's awareness to the fact that, okay, these kids are teenagers today, but like five, six years from now, they could be the ones buying condos. They could be renting your apartments. They could be members of the workforce, like living in these offices, or they could be visiting retail uses. So it's, it's really like, they could be your, they could be your customers, right? In just a few years. So I think those are some of the ways that you can get the the private sector clients on board as well um, and make the case. Totally. So the last question is kind of just a closer. What is giving you hope right now that things are changing in terms of how youth play a role within their communities? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I think that as we have embarked on this process of bringing youth engagement into some of our work at Glad Key Planning Associates. What's giving me hope is seeing that if you put the time and effort into engaging youth, youth will respond by giving you their time and effort as well. So I think the like reciprocity that exists there is really hopeful because it's, it would be disheartening to put a lot of time and effort into it and to, to not get it back. But the youth are responding. They're there. They want to be engaged. 
they want their opinions and their voices heard. And so I think that's, that's what's giving me a lot of hope. I, I think that, uh, that's a trend that will continue. And if we as professionals and planners and adults continue to offer youth the space, I think that youth will, will rise to that challenge and will participate and provide us with information and lived experience that will really help all of our projects and will make our cities better places moving forward. Okay, next we're going to hear from Enosh Chen at Urban Minds. Fed, what did you learn from Enosh? My intention to bring Enosh onto the podcast was really to have a bit of a youthful perspective. Unfortunately, due to the length of ethics approval processes, I wasn't able to actually work with youth over the course of my primary research in the summer. Mm-hmm. So that was a bit of a gap that I identified. And as much as it was valuable to speak to professionals, I really wanted to have some youth voices, of course, as this is a toolkit for youth engagement in planning. Right. So I was hoping to bring a bit of a youthful voice. Enosh identifies uh, with the youth cohort himself, and he works at Urban Minds. And I really just wanted him to speak on his personal experience as a youth being engaged and what that looks like for his peers. All right, let's hear from Enosh. What do you think that youth participants bring to the table when it comes to engagement in the urban planning and city building space? If we were to talk about youth ages 15 to 30, that's a wide range. But perhaps for my response, I would focus more on high school students. Mm -hmm. Uh, So high school students generally, they're maybe 14 to 18, I would say. They can participate in different workshops where they can voice their opinions. So, for example, Urban Minds um, has different workshops. For example, at City of Masaga, the Urban Minds team went to different public schools where they hosted um, engagement workshops to collect youth's opinion on what they could do within a study area. So getting their direct feedback that way. Mm -hmm. There's also some local youth organizations that youth can be part of. So they might be found in public libraries or in different community centers, Mm -hmm. but also some youth start their own nonprofits. That way they can also collect youth's opinion and also to bring something back to the community. So indirectly, they're all related to urban planning somehow, but might not be directly contributing to the process of implementing a project per se. Yeah, those are all different kind of avenues in which youth may choose to participate. I'm wondering, what are the attributes, what are the strengths that young people bring to the table in these conversations that maybe set them apart from other cohorts that might be participating, whether that's working age professionals or seniors or children and toddlers, right? What do youth from your cohort bring to the table? I would say youth are very creative. And as you can see, if you go on TikTok, youth are very creative. TikTok is a social media app for some context. And so youth can post anywhere from 15 second videos to a minute long. And so sometimes youth would dance to these musics or 
do some acting or just come up with any skits of some kind. So there's so many different types of things on TikTok. Just by scrolling through TikTok, you'll be amazed at how creative youth are. And so this brings my next point to how youth are very open to new ideas. And so, for example, youth are open to seeing change in their community and they have ideas um, in how to enhance community um, that's around them and they may suggest creative ways to improve the quality of life for residents in an area. Amazing. Another great characteristic I would say is youth are quite involved and I would say that at least at my high school youth like to participate in different types of organizations either in school or outside of school and it's I would say it's kind of the culture, at least at my high school, where everyone is almost in a few clubs. So either in sports or in uh, clubs that are more academic related. So maybe a newspaper club. They're very involved and they really like to be part of things that they feel uh, they belong and they can make a difference in. From your perspective also as a young person, what barriers have you seen that youth face when they're trying to enter the city building engagement process? Uh, I would say one of the barriers and challenges would be not knowing what urban planning entails, especially with urban planning being very unique discipline. And although I would say that most of the youth knows disciplines related to urban planning, so maybe just engineering, geography, and I would say that because students generally aren't very aware of what urban planning is about, it's hard for them to participate in urban planning related activities. And at least in the high school Ontario curriculum, there isn't a course dedicated to urban planning. Right. The closest course would be civics and careers, right. but still in that class, it's divided into half a credit, not a full credit. So half of it is civics and half of it is careers. So that means there really isn't a lot of time to talk about urban planning in civics courses. The closest you learn about is more about government. So not too much awareness there. Yeah. And I, I, even within civics, my recollection is is that civics is broader, right? You're talking about a government perspective and there isn't, there wasn't, at least in my high school experience, there wasn't a module on planning itself. Mm -hmm. So that I agree there's, there's room for that, for us to build capacity for youth at an early age, like when they're in high school, for sure. Are there any other barriers that you've observed for yourself or for your peers? I would say it's somewhat intimidating and I would say this because I think urban planning from an outside point of view, it seems very professional. And so I feel like it almost creates a barrier for youth to participate because it feels as if planning is an adult's job, not a youth's job. Yeah. This makes it seem like youth cannot participate and give their meaningful input mm -hmm. in projects which I would say that might discourage youth from participating and even looking out for opportunities where they can give their input. Yeah. Another potential barrier could be that their social circles are not really in urban planning or anything related to advocacy planning. Okay. I would say because youth sometimes might not be... Um, 
always connected to these topics and following up with these topics that it's hard for them to share their ideas and also just to get started on how they can contribute to the community. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If my next question was really, if you feel like there's an awareness about the field and the process of planning, and it sounds like from your answer, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like, yeah, one of the big challenges is that youth don't really know what to expect when it comes to planning and that there is really a big gap in how they perceive planning as a really formal, really rigid adult kind of expert first field, right? Yeah, I would say so. And I would say within my friend group, some of them heard about urban planning through me because sometimes I would talk about what I learn in my classes and they get a feel of what I learn through my program. But I would say they still don't really have an idea of what urban planning looks like. I think there's a misconception that urban planning is kind of like SimCity and it could be um, in some ways, but I would say it's a little bit different, actually quite <laughs> different than what SimCity is like. For sure. I mean, SimCity is all about like land use planning, but there's so much more to that, right? Than to just right. plop. We don't just plop condos and schools and churches you right. know, randomly. There's so much more. I think that's something that even people in my cohort struggle with. And it's funny to me that that's kind of like the, the comparison. Given that we're talking about creating more inclusive environments for youth and spaces that are welcoming to youth communities, I'm wondering, from your perspective, what can the planning community, so planners, you know, these adults that work in the field, what can they be doing to be more welcoming to youth participants within their work? Sure. So if, let's say, planners host a youth engagement workshop, one thing that they could for sure do is to make these events shorter. And so if these are short, interactive workshops, youth are more likely to participate and more willing to just come by and see what this is all about. Because youth are also very busy. And so sometimes having very long engagement sessions may be something that discourages youth from participating. Another thing is to be very clear that they're input would be valuable and wanted. So if youth knows that they would play a part in influencing a project, for example, I think they're more likely to come by. And of course, not every opinion needs to be implemented, but at least youth want to be heard and that they feel that their time will be valued and everyone wants to be treated nicely. So if youth feel that they are in an environment where they can contribute and that they are treated well, I would say that those two characteristics will really incentivize youth to participate and come back and participate some more in the future. So next up, I wanted to kind of get your perspective on youth engagement. So my first question is, what did you expect youth engagement and planning more importantly, to look like originally in high school? What did you think planning was like? What did you think youth engagement was like in high school? To be very honest, I didn't think that youth could play a role in shaping the future of communities because I've also thought that planners would do most of the work in terms of organizing how cities would look like and being the visionary. Mm -hmm. But course, entering the program, I was quite wrong about that because I would say that the planning profession now 
is much more inclusive. Mm-hmm. And so I would say right before I started the program, even before joining Urban Minds, I didn't know too much about how youth could play a role because I didn't know too many people from my high school who knew about urban planning and also didn't know too many people who wanted to participate in urban planning related matters. Right. And so I didn't think that youth engagement was a thing in the industry. And so that was you in high school. And now three years later, you know, you've started your education, your your higher education at the University of Waterloo. And it's a fairly professional program. So I'm wondering, has that changed your perspective? What do you think now as you're entering, you know, a more quote unquote formal education in urban planning? Yeah, I would say that now that I've almost completed the first three years of my undergrad in planning, I've really been exposed to how beneficial it is to engage the community, including the traditionally underrepresented groups like youth. And I would say that getting youth's input in projects would be so important. And I've really come to realize this because in our classrooms, we have discussed about not having enough youth representation in a lot of these urban planning projects. And the added benefit of having youth contributing to these projects is that they're more likely to support some of the, I would say, 21st century goals that planners are trying to achieve. So, for example, climate change. There are some individuals who are not so supportive, but I would say, um, at least with youth, there's a much greater percentage of youth who want to see projects that would reduce carbon emissions, for example. So through my program, I've really realized how if we want to implement projects that are beneficial to the community, it's important to get youth's input so that perhaps it's more likely that these um, environmentally friendly projects would be implemented. And finally, we're going to hear from Joanna Lincho. What did Joanna have to say about her work as a youth engagement and systems lead? What, what does that sort of title entail? Joanna was actually one of the respondents that supported my research through the summer. Mm-hmm. And we spoke uh, on her initiatives within the Kitchener-Waterloo-Cambridge region. Joanna brings kind of the public perspective. And something I found really, really cool is her work generating data from youth uh, within her region and using that data within partner organizations there to really generate change and create new programming for urban youth within the Kitchener-Waterloo region. Yeah, the Youth Impact Survey has been a really exciting project, <laughs> um, in my opinion. It started off in, I believe it was sort of like 2018, 2019, when this sort of opportunity came our way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in partnership with UNICEF Canada, the Canadian Index of Wellbeing, and the Ontario Trillium Foundation. Mm-hmm. And UNICEF Canada had been doing some work across the nation to kind of develop a child and youth well-being index. And they were exploring what it would look like to get local data to kind of feed into this national index. 
So we were super lucky to be the community that got to partner with them in creating a survey tool to do that, to get local data on their nine dimensions of well-being. So we had the chance to work with the partners and also connect with youth in Waterloo Region to kind of build out this tool, get input and feedback and ideas around what the tool kind of looks like and all of these different aspects of the data collection cycle. And the idea was that we would launch the pilot in 2020 as like a chance to to feel the tool out, get input from young people, kind of like lay that groundwork to ideally grow the tool in the future. And we had this really great event called Youth Think in uh, February of 2020, where we brought youth from all across the region together in some of our, our regional spaces in downtown Kitchener. And they had the chance to kind of give input on lots of different pieces of the survey cycle, including the tool itself. And we really framed it as you are experts today and we want to know what you think, which is kind of where the idea of you think as the name came from. And in framing youth as experts, we thought no better place to hold this than in regional council. So (laughs) we were able to kind of take over regional council spaces and the regional headquarters in downtown Kitchener, uh, as well as the Kitchener Public Library, and, and kind of create this really dynamic day for youth to be experts and provide input and feedback on this new tool. And really tried to make the day engaging and fun and recognizing that true engagement is going to look different for different people. So how could we make opportunities to connect into the work that we were doing that day different? Mm -hmm. So we had rooms that focused on sort of like communication, promotion, marketing materials that were very much like arts-based and arts-driven and you've got Mm -hmm. to like create resources in the moment with different tools. They were able to record videos and, and kind of build out what promo materials could look like. We had a room that kind of focused on like language used in the survey tool and we gamified it and turned it into kind of like a fun trivia game around like, do you know what this word even means? And started to be able to like break down some of that uh, and look at language and youth provided input on kind of how we were asking questions and what language we were using We had another room that was like very active and youth were kind of like running around and connected to sort of like question comprehension to make sure that youth were understanding the questions in the way that we were hoping in terms of data collection. That involved lots of duck quacking noises and (laughs) running around um, with the way it was structured. But yeah, that intention was how can we, how can we make this a really dynamic space and engage youth in a way that feels fun? And like, they want to be there. That was our goal is like, we, we want you to want to be here because we really want you to be here. It sounds like you were able to create a day where youth really were given like a quite a diverse range of activities. Cause obviously like youth have different interests and abilities. And so it sounds like, like your team really understood that, which is amazing. Yeah, we we tried we tried our best and and we were also fortunate to be able to connect with some youth who had been involved in some of our work prior to get input on kind of what something fun and what a day could look like. Right. That all being said, we had plans for what the first pilot of the survey tool would look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then the world went into a pandemic. <laughs> and we kind of wrapped up, you think, in February of 2020. And then the world shut down in March. You really snuck one last one in there. 
We really did. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of had to adjust some of our plans to fit our new virtual context. So we, we ran the first pilot of the survey um, during the first wave of the pandemic. And we had about three 300 responses from young people in our community, uh, which we were so impressed with because we had had lots of plans on what it would look like to implement the survey in community-based spaces and in person and, and kind of had to totally shift to a virtual implementation. Right. And, and initially we had sort of thought that the pilot would be an opportunity just to get feedback on the tool and, and get youth perspective and experience in, in using the tool and kind of what data we would get from it. Mm-hmm. But we had the voice of 300 young people who are experiencing a, bl- a global pandemic for the first time. So yeah. we ended up releasing the data in 20, our 2020 data to the community, which was, I think, so important to have the experiences, firsthand experiences of young people kind of shared out with the community. And then in 2021, we were able to run the survey again with some tweaks based on some youth, youth input to the first pilot round with a new partner, the Kitchener-Waterloo Community Foundation, as well as alongside three other communities across Canada who are testing out the tool in their communities. So cool. um, we just released the 2021 data at the end of December and are currently working through uh, what we call our sense-making processes right now with youth to kind of get youth perspective on the results that came in from the 2020 data recognizing that survey tools aren't perfect and they're not for everybody. So there's definitely gaps in the data. Right. So having conversations with young people about like um, helping to kind of identify those gaps or fill those gaps. Okay. And really just get like what we often call like the story behind the numbers. So we've got the numbers and now we want to get those, the story behind them. Right. Right. And you mentioned that the sense making process is youth driven to a certain extent. Yeah, so our sense-making sessions are designed and facilitated by our youth staff. So it's their show, adults like myself, we have a placement student as well who's like super involved in that work. They've designed it, they do the promotion, they facilitate sessions. Wow. I am a note taker and a support person. Yeah. But yeah, so it's it's very much driven by youth. And then the conversations are are structured around what youth participating in that session are bringing into the space and kind of taking the lead from from our participating youth around what they want to focus on and talk about. For the 2021 survey, did you see any changes in terms of the reach that the survey had, the tool had last year? Uh, yeah, we, we definitely saw an increase. So we hired our, our three youth staff just around the time of promoting the survey out. So they had a huge impact. Our partners really sort of pushed it out and shared it out. Our promotion strategy was like everything and anything. So we were connecting with like radio stations and cultural groups and through all of our partners and our partners at the school boards and, and really trying to get this the survey out to as many young people as we could. In 2021, we had 1,074 responses. So we tripled our responses from 2020. Yeah, that's incredible. So we talked a lot about about the tool, obviously, and the fact that this is generating a great amount of data that's youth-driven. I'm wondering kind of what's this data going to be used for in the community? What does that look like on the ground in terms of how the 2020 data was used by different organizations? Mm -hmm. And what does the 2021 version look like? Yeah, so um, great question. And it's definitely something that we are very focused on this year. 
is sort of like, how are we communicating that action back out? Mm -hmm. The 2020 data, we had a lot of our members say just how valuable it was, like recognizing that organizations were going through a really big shift in how they operated in terms of the pandemic and, and how that limited kind of what services might look like for some folks. Mm-hmm. Our partners have also been able to share back some of the things that they're doing with the data this year, which is super exciting. So um, a number of folks have talked about how they're using the data in like organizational and programming spaces in terms of identifying where programs could be adapted or changed to meet needs mm-hmm. or where new programs can connect back to what they're hearing from from young people in the data. We've also heard from some folks that are kind of using the data to have their own conversations with the young people that they work with to kind of see if it's if it's matching up and, and how young people can be more involved in their own organizational spaces. We've had some folks who have mentioned that they're using the data now in staff onboarding and training so that all new staff who are working with children and youth in the community kind of have a sense of sort of where well-being is at in our community, which is pretty exciting. And then some of our local funders have been able to share that they're kind of using the data as sort of a lens uh, when they're reviewing applications that are coming in related to child and youth well-being and and just related to children and youth in general to see is it kind of matching up with what we're hearing about the experiences of children and youth from themselves in our community. So there's been a lot of folks who have kind of identified spaces where they're either currently using the data or have plans to kind of put that data into action. And we're getting more and more folks coming in and sharing how they're how they're using this information. So I'm excited to see kind of where it grows to as we continue this work. Okay, so my next question was honestly going to be about successes, but I feel like we've been talking about successes for the for the past little while. So I'm going to flip the script and I'm going to ask you about challenges. So I'd love to hear about the challenges that you are facing in your role or beyond that what challenges the child and youth table planning table, sorry, are facing at the moment when looking to grow the presence of youth voices in the Waterloo region. I feel like I've been saying this for the past two years, but COVID and the pandemic has been quite a challenge Yeah, because the, the first pilot of the survey happened just as the world closed up for safety reasons. We were able to add a COVID question onto the 2020 survey um, just before it went out, which was really great. And we asked young people if uh, COVID precautions, isolation measures, and safety measures had an impact on their ability to participate. Uh, and was kind of surprised when uh, we saw that just under 20% of youth in 2020 said that their participation actually went up. And I was a little bit shocked by that. Uh, so in our sense making sessions, we had conversations with youth about like, why? Like, where did that come from? And they kind of really shared that the ability to go virtual was actually like pretty helpful. Like there was, they had a lot more flexibility in terms of what their schedules looked like and ability to jump into different spaces. Right. Um, being virtual meant that they were able to access uh, opportunities that they couldn't have done before, whether it be because of transportation barriers or sort of other life experiences that wouldn't have allowed them to engage in those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And then kind of as the pandemic progressed, being virtual for so long, they were kind yeah. of feeling a little bit of that virtual fatigue. Yeah. And so in 2021, we were able to ask the same question and the 20% of youth who said it, COVID had a positive impact on their ability to participate, dropped down to, I believe, 7%. (laughs) 
And I had a youth explain it to me and I was like, that's perfect. And they said, the novelty of COVID has worn off Mm. and I just want to get back to my regular activities. Mm -hmm. That sums it up beautifully. Are there any other challenges or barriers beyond COVID that you faced at the table in terms of getting youth to participate? Another um, sort of like barrier that we we recognized and um, just because of COVID, I haven't seen how it's going to play out uh, in our spaces is like adapting sort of our operation structure at the planning table as well, because it oftentimes our meetings were held during the day when young people would be in school or like otherwise occupied by other activities or priorities in their life. Right. So we had uh, just before COVID had a lot of conversations with the membership as well and, and recognizing how we might need to sort of restructure the way that we work and operate to, to reduce some of the barriers that young people face in engaging in the work. Mm-hmm. So we've Taking that into consideration into our virtual spaces over the past couple of years and, and adjusting meeting times and asking uh, both our adults and, and young people sort of like what supports they need in place or, or kind of helping us identify any barriers that they might have to engage in the space. So we've shifted some of that stuff in our virtual spaces. And I imagine just due to sort of like the excitement and, and that really strong buy-in that our membership has in, in continuing this work in partnership with young people um, we'll sort of see what that will look like once we're back to in-person spaces as well and kind of how we need to shift the way we work and, and operate as well. Is there an ongoing shift towards some hybrid or in-person work currently? Yeah, I imagine hybrid is probably going to be the new normal for us and lots of folks. Yeah, it's one of those those spaces where there's virtual fatigue, but in acknowledging that, that 20% of youth in 2020 who said, virtual gave them more opportunities. I think definitely moving forward, this hybrid model is, is just going to have, it's going to support greater engagement and just there being the flexibility for folks to engage in a way that works best for them. For sure. So just want to ask one last little question just to kind of tie everything up, but I want to know what's really giving you hope right now that things are changing in the way that we bring youth into our communities and that youth really can have an impact on communities and on cities moving forward. Uh, like one thing I, I definitely look at that gives me hope on like our pl- our planning table level is the fact that like we have three youth staffing positions now mm-hmm. um, that didn't exist before. So there has been like a really solid commitment and financial commitment to ensuring that youth voices are involved in this work. So that has been like a huge beacon of hope for me. And I think I've also definitely really noticed when I've been in kind of other spaces in our community that the the language and the way folks are talking about engagement is shifting and seeing folks take note of, of the work and the importance and value in engaging youth voices who might otherwise not have seen themselves as like maybe quote unquote working with youth. So we're seeing this shift in, in what it means to work with youth and that recognition that youth are citizens of our community that are actively engaged in our community. So yeah, it's really exciting to kind of see where, where these conversations are going to go and and how things are going to shift and change as more people get excited to work with, young people because they have such great ideas and such interesting ways of looking at the world that are so different 
from ours as adults. <laughs> So, Fed, I was hoping to ask you, you know, talking to these people, what were some important takeaways that you uh, gleaned from these interviews talking about youth engagement? Yeah, I think first and foremost is shifting the perspective of youth as more static or passive actors in an urban space towards perceiving them more as local experts. And this is something that a lot of my participants in, in the research kind of brought up. Youth really understand spaces and they understand them differently because of the challenges they face and their their status as dependents. Mm -hmm. So I think moving towards a space where we recognize that lived experience and we treat them as experts and allow them to really participate in meaningful ways. That's kind of the main takeaway. The other one is just, yeah, investing in, in really robust partnerships and hopefully moving to a space where we can operationalize a bit more of this into the work we do as planners. I hope that planners hearing this are inspired uh, to bring youth into the fold, to value their opinion, to meet them where they are, and to make things fun for them. And in terms of your studies, your, your research, and, and the Cities for Youth Toolkit, what happens next with that? What, what do you hope to see? How do you hope people engage with the toolkit itself? So the toolkit has been released by Urban Minds as of January of this year. Folks are able to access it on their website, urbanminds.co. I really hope that planners and all kinds of professionals will leverage this work and kind of start to think creatively about what youthful perspectives can do for their work and how they can integrate youthful perspectives into their projects or their programming or their policies. And Fed, one last time, that uh, website where they can access the toolkit is? urbanminds.co mm -hmm. forward slash cities for youth. All right, everyone check that out. Fed, I want to thank you so much for bringing this work to us and uh, for hosting the show with me. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to work on this with you. And yeah, thanks again for all your help. And that is the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please tell the Peewee soccer team you coach, that niece who dreams of being an urban planner, and the Toronto Youth Cabinet. If you have a moment, give us a rating on iTunes and help us reach new listeners. This episode was produced in partnership with Cities for Youth, a research project jointly funded by MyTax Accelerate Program, the Ontario Professional Planners Institute, and Urban Minds, with the support of Ryerson University School of Urban and Regional Planning. Special thanks to Pamela Robinson and Ryan Lowe. For more info, visit urbanminds.co backslash cities for youth. That's all one word. I make this podcast with Neil Hinchley, who composes our music, and you can find that music on SoundCloud at track 82. That's all one word. He's got a bunch of new tracks up there, and as the youth maybe still say, they slap. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or tips, you can tweet at us at Spacing Radio, that's all one word, or email me at glennbowerman at spacing.ca. That's G-L-Y-N-B-O-W-E-R-M-A-N at spacing.ca. 
Visit our website at spacing.ca or visit our city store at 401 Richmond Street West in Toronto. In the meantime, break out the umbrellas. It's spring in Toronto. Cheers. Cheers.